Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. This is episode 105 of the podcast, uh, and I'm super pumped this evening uh, to be joined by Chris Ocampo. Chris, how are you, bud? Hey, man. What's going on? I'm, I'm great. It's uh, great to be on the podcast, and, yeah. and great to finally... I got your email, and then I was like, I don't know who this guy is. So it's like, it's great to finally hear your voice yeah. uh, and put a, a voice to the to the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, and the, and the funny thing is we've been, we've been working to try to find um, a platform, but, you know, because FaceTime and Skype are good. We can record on FaceTime and Skype, but it only allows us to record with one other person. So we think we found um, uh, an online service called Zoom, where you can do like online okay. meetings, but you can record up to like 50 people at a time so we would obviously probably not ever do that for the podcast but we right. we're, make, we're making it a point that we want to do you know going forward the face-to-face podcast because even just you know talking is better but you know when you can see the other person on the other end of the line it's uh it's really cool though man but like like i said i'm glad um we got to connect uh, i told you we you know we follow you on instagram because of not just your awesome teaching, uh, but you know the the food reviews you do, and also your your love of the bow tie, man. The bow tie, is, <laughs> it's it's the thing, man. Thanks, man. The bow tie is uh, it's become it it's become a its own entity within my school, um, right. and it's funny because the uh, it kind of just started. Uh, there's another guy um, that I work with. He's another English teacher. And uh, I used to co-teach with him. Uh, I, we co-taught for five years together. And uh, he's a pretty fashionable guy. And I, I'd like to say that I'm kind of the same way. And there was one day we were like, should we like switch it up and wear bow ties one day? And uh, we kind of looked at each other during like one of the lunch English lunch sessions. And we were like, yeah, we should do it. Let's do it. So it became this whole uh, this whole day of like rocking the bow tie and like, matching up the right bow tie with the right shirt and like texting each other being like make sure you wear your bow tie tomorrow and things like that and um it was just a fun thing because the the class that we taught caught on they they didn't i we didn't tell them that we were wearing a bow tie or anything they kind of were just like mr ocampo like uh, you and you and the other teacher you guys are wearing bow ties every every week and we're like yep that's bow tie tuesday so the kids kind of caught on and it's become like this, uh, every single student kind of sees us in the hallways and um, other teachers have asked us about it. So it's become this whole like uh, phenomenon in the school, which is, which is pretty cool. And hey man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, we actually, that was Wilkie and I saying as we would wear bow ties on Tuesday and actually where we met teaching in Houston. Um, yep. We started teaching together the year that they decided that men didn't have to wear a tie every day. Really? So, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So th- there was a, there was a time where every every male teacher was expected to wear a tie, and then they decided one year that they they didn't need to. Was that yeah, kind of the yeah, the movement? Until, oh up, wow! Up, up until twenty thirteen, I started there tw- in two thousand nine. Yep, and up until 2013, and pr- prior to that, all men had to wear a tie Monday through Thursday. Wow, wow! So, that's 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 in my mind that that's like um, that's almost for me. It's almost like taking away um, your ability to 
to express yourself. Right. Because the my school, the one that I'm in right now, so I teach in a in a, um, in a high school, um, right in between um, Boston and a, a bigger city in Massachusetts called Worcester. Um, it's smack, smack dab in the middle, and um, the expectation for dress isn't isn't very high. Uh, because we have teachers that come in with a, a suit and tie every single day, but we also have teachers that wear jeans almost every day. So uh, we almost have the freedom to kind of express, you know, ourselves in a way. So hearing you in, in that school in Houston with with the dress code, that's that's uh, that's new to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was crazy because we, you know, we both kind of were dressing down, but then we decided let's dress it up one day and. And, and, and Will had been big on the bow tie. And honestly, like I, I only have bow ties now simply because I, I like the way they look, but I think the bow tie is much more comfortable than the traditional tie. I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I like not having something that's hanging down in front of me and I'm a lot less likely to spill um, food on a bow tie than I am. Already. Right. Or get it like caught on, you know, something, the sewing machine right, or right, in your soup, right. in your soup or something or. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Absolutely. You know what so. did, you know, what was, what was a game changer though, though with my tie? Cause I usually wear ties, um, just cause I like to dress up, but, um, the, the tie clip is a game changer. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is a game changer. I'll agree. I, I have a, I have a lot less, uh, ties in my coffee in the morning. Ever since I added that to my arsenal, you know, right on, right on. So to to kind of get this kicked off here, uh, Chris, can you tell us just a little bit about um, how and why you became a teacher? Yeah. Um, so let me go back to kind of when I was younger. Um, growing up, so I'm a second generation uh, immigrant. My my family came from the Philippines. And uh, it's so interesting. The Filipino culture, your expectations are uh, you're going to go into medicine uh, or you're going to be a lawyer um, or you're going to do something along those lines on, this, on, on that playing field. So growing up, I, it, I didn't really have any other, um, any other uh, avenue to go down besides just those types of jobs. Um, so I went, when I went to school, when I went to college, I, um, I went into uh, business because I was like, all right, if I start my own business and, you know, I, I can make a ton of money there and, you know, that'll make my parents happy and all these things. Um, and then I graduated. And then the only things that I looked at uh, in the business realm was like a, a desk job. And I was like, I, there's no way that I could do this. There's no way that I can sit in front of a desk, in front of, of a computer and, and crunch numbers all day. Like, I'm too much of a people person for that. Like, that's, that's crazy. So um, in the midst of, like, trying to find a job and, like, trying to pay rent and all these things, um, one of my good friends, Greg, was working at a high school as a, uh, a one-to-one aide. And he was like, Chris, dude, I have a job at the high school that – that could probably be filled. And if you want it, like it's, you know, it's some extra money on the side while you're trying to figure things out. And I was like, why would I go to a school? I was like, my parents don't, don't agree with that type of stuff. And then I kind of just did it. Cause I was like, you know, I, I need some money, you know, that could be cool. So I landed in a school as a one-to-one aide. And then I remember observing the different teachers in, in all the classes 
And I was like, oh, this person did this really well. Or, huh, if I did that in my class, like if I was teaching a class, let me tweak that this way. And then, you know, I feel like it would be better this way and things like that. So I always found myself observing other teachers and kind of putting myself in their shoes. And then eventually I was just like, you know what, I think I could do this. I could, I can make this a profession. And so I went back to school and I got my, my master's in special education. Um, and then I landed a job in a classroom. So I'm actually teaching in the same classroom that are the same school that, that I was an aide at, which was pretty cool. Um, so I, I kind of became a teacher by default in terms of like kind of just landing the job. But I, I always remember growing up and watching my, my teachers, you know, in high school. And I was like, huh, they have a pretty cool job. But my parents or, you know, my family, just like my culture doesn't really agree with that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I guess, is there a particular reason why your culture doesn't agree with that or that they're yeah, pushing people to doctors and lawyers or the, prof- right. I guess, the it's, professional realm? Yeah, and it, I think it's it's interesting. I think the, the whole idea of... Um, Asians immigrating to America is is for a better life. And that's that's literally that's the general thing that the reason why they move here. And a general life, I think, embodies a number of different things, including and one of the most important things is the opportunity to become whatever you want. So those higher end jobs that pay well and um, that place you in a certain tier of uh, whatever it is. Um, that that's a little bit higher than, you know, the poverty rate, then that those, those are the things that you want. Those are the things that you as, as a family want for your, your children and the generations below you is, is just a better life overall. And I think that's what equates with, you know, those higher end jobs that, that pay really well, mm-hmm. you know? So when, so when you say second generation American, does that mean you're, you're, parents came here and then you were born here or were they born here as well? So my parents moved here, um, 35 years ago or so. And, and then when they moved here, that's when, and then I was born here. So, Mm. um, yeah, I, I have a, and my older brother was actually born there. So I, I kind of like missed the cutoff, (laughs) you could say. Right. Right. So, but your, but your, your parents are Filipino, like they are born wow what did they did they ever say you know i mean beyond just the better opportunities why they chose to come to america no like it so uh, and i i tell this story all the time to like all my friends and a lot of them don't believe me but it's literally because my aunt married uh an american who was um in the navy and was stationed in the philippines and uh so they ended up moved got getting married Um, and then they moved to America and like literally one by one, my family started moving over here. And, uh, the reason the main reason was because they, so they own like a a farm in the Philippines and my whole families are, it's, uh, I have a family of farmers and just one by one, they started moving here because the opportunity is, is just, uh, so much higher than, than what you see in the Philippines. It's, it's the traditional idea of the American dream. You know, and, and it's like you can come here and you can be whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And so that idea is so powerful, I think, for a lot of, of 
uh, immigrants. And I think that's why it's so enticing to come here and be able to to work and achieve whatever you want. And uh, that's why I kind of have a soft spot for a lot of, you know, my students that, that are kind of going through similar things is, you know, you, you question why, why do students or why do the families come here and you're teaching these kids in class and uh, I always view them as like, you know what, I, I know exactly why you guys moved here because, uh, you know, of a number of different reasons, whether it's the living conditions weren't as great or the job opportunities weren't there or you had other family here or all of the above, whatever it is. So um, seeing other families come from different um, countries and, and migrate here, um, kind of I, I can relate to that so wholeheartedly wholeheartedly because you know I, I i my family went through the same exact thing you know so was was english your first language when you moved here or did you learn filipino yeah yeah so english was actually my first language uh the interesting thing about the philippines is they were colonized by um spain for a while and then uh like uh the u.s for a while as well so um english has become like a secondary language over there so my parents speak English fluently. They also speak, uh, it's called Tagalog, which is uh, the Filipino language. Um, I can understand it. And I, I'm, I'm so ashamed to say this <laughs> as a Filipino, but I can understand it, but there, I can't speak a lick of it. Hmm. It's so funny. It's like, if you, if you told me uh, it, to translate something and, and someone said something, I, I, I can translate it. But there's like no way that I can, I can come up with how to actually say it in Tagalog. Hmm. You know, and it's and that and that's just so interesting because you know I grew up small town Wisconsin, and then my first teaching job was in Houston, where you know there's a huge population of kids who are not only immigrants but you know their English as a second second language, and I just I just didn't understand the impact of those two things, and right, right, and just and even learning now over the last you know year, especially like what a lot of these kids are going through and, and those different things. So do you, do you teach in a school where you, you know, there's a large number of immigrants? Um, yes. And yes, I do. So, um, I would say that the te the school that I teach in, um, I would say is probably one of the most diverse schools I would, mm -hmm. uh, in Massachusetts, especially, uh, and I would probably put money down on that. Um, just because we have, it's so interesting, the city that I teach in is broken up by north and south. And the north is predominantly uh, white. Um, it's uh, affluent, affluential, it's, um, and it's much different than the south. The south um, has um, a lot more kids um, of color, and um, the, the overall um, family income is much lower. So with the combination of both of the, those things and both sides going to the same school, you have this like beautiful um, mix of diversity and not only just like skin color and, and culture and all those things, but um, you also have the, the amount of money that's coming into each family. So like the differences amongst all the kids are so drastic and it's not just what you see on their face. Do you know what I mean? Um, so we have a, 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 a crazy mix of different types of kids, uh, which makes an interesting, um, environment in the school, school culture overall. 
No, I'm, I'm in, is there, do you notice a separation between the, you know, do the kids when they're at school and they're hanging out there in their friend groups, is it kind of segregated between the North and the South? Yeah. You know what? It's, uh, I don't, I, so here's what's so interesting is the way that I view the school is that everyone is connected in a way. Um, so when you walk into, uh, let's say the cafeteria, um, now my school, my school houses about 2000 kids. Uh, we have four lunches. And so each lunch has about 500 kids, 400, 500, 100, give or take. When you walk into there, you would never guess uh, who's from which side. So they're all intermingling. They're all um, getting to know each other. Um, I don't think they even discuss whether they're from the north or the south side. However, I think that when you move into the classroom, you have this um, separation that isn't their fault um, in a way. Um, and so... Uh, I say it's it's not their fault because it's it's like you you have a lot of the honors and AP kids coming from the north side of of the city, whereas you have the south side kids are generally in in the lower level classes, the CP level or the uh, applied level or so on and so forth. So you have this separation within the classrooms. And, and within the academics itself, you have that, that interesting separation. But then when they go off to play sports or um, get in, go into clubs or mingle in the, in the hallways and stuff, you, never, you can never guess who's, who's from where. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's like this weird yet interesting um, dynamic of diversity that, that I think my, my school does a fantastic job with. Man, I'm really, I'm really interested to hear more about that. I mean, and I can understand, you know, that students are separated and and, and those things. And after, I just mm-hmm. finished a a book called White Fragility by I think the mm-hmm. author's name is uh, Robin D'Angelo, which just totally like blew my mind. I'm still trying to wrap my right. head around around that. So it it makes sense to me, but I guess it's. I'm I'm so interested as to do you think it's the kids who just mingle? Is it, you know, a culture that's created in the school or is that just the way your town's always been? Right. Um, you know what? I think it's a combination of all those things. I I almost view my school as as how we kind of like how maybe America or even like the world as a whole is kind of built. Like you have these these the separation of of different areas in the world, and there's a, a a line that that separates the north and the south, and we're all placed in this one building, this one world to kind of grow and thrive and and become like um, whoever we are based on the environment itself. So we navigate the world and we navigate the school and the kids walk around and they you know they they meet people from other areas of the of the world and they they're sitting in in these classes that where of people that are are very similar to them um, of different backgrounds different cultures yet they also have to leave that classroom and go explore other other things and other cultures you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. uh, it's almost like a, a microcosm of kind of what we see within the world 
Um, and I, I tell my kids all that all the time. I'm like, guys, when you graduate this high school, you need to talk about how, how diverse this place is because there's no other high school that, that, or there are very few and far in between high schools that have similar types of makeup that we do. Um, and the kids, you know, they, they don't really know that they, they can kind of see it, but again, that's a testament to, you know, their environment is they grew up with all these kids around them. And they learn about all these cultures and different backgrounds. And um, they don't realize that when you leave this, you know, framing or the high school, um, it's called Framingham. When you leave that high school, you don't you don't realize that there is a lot of separation that or experiences that people uh, have that are different than yours. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So so when do these kids all start going to school together? I mean, are there multiple elementaries or multiple middle schools? Yeah, so the, the the whole district is massive. Um, it is. It's like it actually turned into a city recently uh, in the last mm-hmm. year or so. Um, but it was it was uh, fun fact. Um, it was a town. It was the biggest town in in this in America for like the longest time. It held like the biggest town medal. Uh, I think it was population wise for the longest time, and then they switched to to a city. Um, so now I don't know who the biggest town is, but, um, the fact that it was, it was big enough to be a city is kind of a testament to how many schools that we had to have. So, um, yeah, we have a ton of elementary schools. I think there's, uh, maybe eight or nine. I might be completely wrong. Um, but we have like two or three middle schools and then one high school and kind of, so they all kind of go to their own separate niches of, of the city. And then once they reach high school, they all culminate into this one big building. So uh, it makes for this like beautiful, like uh, everyone has these pr- different perspectives of, of growing up within the city, within that small area of the city. And then they take those experiences and they bring them to the high school. And then they literally teach everyone else like, oh, you used to do this like in, in this place, this area of the city. Oh, well, I used to do this. You know what I mean? So it's it's a great opportunity for a lot of kids to be able to learn about perspective and and where people come from from the different parts of the city and and different things like that. So I can I could talk about this this literally all all night because it's I, I just love the school that I'm in. Right, and so your your area there in Massachusetts does it? Would it be considered a a, a more liberal politically? Would it be a liberal area or conservative area? Um, I would say more a more uh, liberal area, definitely. Um, the uh, I think the the culture itself um, lends itself to um, to be able to to express yourself freely, um, and I think that's a testament to a lot of like the administration team and a lot of the teachers that have been been able to to foster that. Um, and, you know, we, I think we've, we've never shut any student down for saying something or, uh, that, that they strongly believe in or that they, um, politically even, you know, uh, whether it's going to offend someone or not, but it, I think it's more of, uh, yes, you might offend people or you, you might make people mad, but a lot of the times we harness those things and we say, all right, yeah, that's okay. But you have a different, uh, understanding than than this person over here. Let's let's all understand them together. Um, but I would say overall, 
the school culture is more uh, in a liber- liberal sense. Um, mm. and, yeah, so, uh, and I think that's a testament for, for the diversity as well. I think, like, people coming from so many different different backgrounds have have all these different ideas about, you know, politics, and the discussions are, are fantastic in the school overall. I'm just so, I'm just so interested in this school because it it seems to be sort of the antithesis of you know kind of what the overarching culture of education is and the you know kind of overarching you know culture in in America that's kind of coming down from the top of you know right there's it just seems like acceptance and um, you know understanding that we're different and you know you know recognizing race and and all those things that it right. seems like your school does it it it's not the prevailing wind that our country has right now of right labeling and this very like you're either with me or you're against me mentality yeah well, you know what's also interesting is like, uh, and you brought up the the idea of kind of like how our country's kind of moving in in one direction, and um, there uh, the the people that that are kind of running the school um, and and the overall um, the overall um, district are uh, predominantly white people, and. Um, it kind of which mirrors like our you know our presidency and and what we kind of see on the news and stuff um and i think that really shows that okay if 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 my perspective is um seeing someone um that's white that's that's running this whole thing um that is considered diverse there we can still thrive and we can still do great things within our society do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like we don't have to necessarily have diversity throughout. Yes, it would be great, and um, yes, it would probably change the culture overall. But um, I, I truly believe that you know a lot of the things that we do within our society and within our classrooms and within with each other um, is within ourselves, and and it's kind of like how we treat each other and how we foster the culture overall. Um, so I, I think that, yes, my school mirrors a lot of the things that our society and, uh, what America is, is trying to get through, especially with, with the walls that have been, have been placed, you know, um, especially in the most recent years. But I truly believe that we as, as students and teachers and people overall are able to, to look at those things and say, Hey, that's, that's not us. Like we can, we can get through things and we can thrive as a society. Yeah. I mean, it's just, like I said, I'm so, I'm so interested to, to hear. I mean, because, you know, and that's part of why we started the podcast is just to hear the stories and to put the stories out there of teachers that are like really doing great things. And and it's so amazing to me to hear that there's a school where, you know, that, that kids intermingle. And yes, there are some intermingling at every school, but I'm just, yep, totally. I'm so so fascinated by your school and, and, um, you know, the, the atmosphere. And I just, 
I think change is coming and I, and you know I think with you know us being able to do this and mm-hmm. you know like uh, you know we connected through Instagram and those you know those types of things I think that change is coming but man I just I just feel like you're you're in a spot that's so incredible and I'm it's it's awesome yeah, to hear you, that there's a school that's successful that is of that 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 proves that diversity can work right right it should, right. It should yeah. work yeah totally and you know what like i and you talked about uh, my instagram and honestly that's one of the reasons why i love food so much <laughs> it's cuz if you li- like look at food as just like a general platform and you could take that platform and um you could see the stories and the backgrounds of um, so many different people. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I look at my, I, I look at the environment that I work in, and yes, I work with so many different people of different backgrounds. And then I go home and I'm like, how can I continue experiencing that? And the easiest way for me or even you, Kyle, like anybody, is to just try a, a, a different type of food. Because right. it tells so many different stories, and I think that's one of the reasons why I started that that Instagram is is uh, yeah. And I'm, let me post some things about teaching because that's one of my passions. But I think food also mirrors a lot of kind of what I want to teach in my classroom. Is like there's so many different perspectives in this world, and um, that power of representation, you know, has is so profound in all of us that. Uh, let me put out this dish, this Filipino dish, and uh, let me cook it for all my friends. And whatever I put in that dish is going to represent me. And what I, and it's kind of like a gift from my culture to you. And that story is so powerful. And I feel like a lot of people don't really or kind of take it, uh, don't take that. Uh, they take it for granted in a way. Mm. I mean, and that's and that's something I like. I said I grew up super sheltered, super insulated. You know, small town. Yeah, uh, small town Wisconsin. I mean, the, really, the only diversity I got is when we would go into Minneapolis or St. Paul. You know, right. that was on a very rare occasion to you know to go to a concert. And then I moved to Houston, and like you said, uh, of all, I I live back in Wisconsin now. Um, yeah. But, but the thing I miss the most about Houston is the food, and I've never even thought of it that way as like really a story and 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 there's so much there's so much good that can come out of that and oh, i remember the first time yeah. like um the kids would bring in like traditional hispanic food and i was like oh man i have no idea what this is like the first time kids <laughs> brought in tamales i was like what in the world is this and i think i like you know you're supposed to unwrap it from its little shell and i like tried, right. tried to eat it with the shell on and they were like no 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 and the other, the other That's one, really, hilarious. the the other one, oh my goodness, I uh, of all the food down there, I love the Cajun food so much. Oh yeah, the you know Cajun. what they? Uh, that's the one thing that Boston doesn't do too well is Cajun food because we're we're way up here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the Cajun food. Like, uh, if you can find a good Cajun restaurant around here, then you're golden. But it's it's very few and far in between. Mm. So, so before we talk, you know, we definitely want to talk a little bit more about food. We were talking a little bit prior to coming on. Can you talk about your book a little bit? Because I'm I'm super excited for you, and I'm and I'm I'm excited for people to hear about what you're doing. Yeah. Um. So this book, oh man, it's 
I want to say that I started this past summer writing this book. Uh, but realistically, the idea of it came um, maybe five or six years ago when um, I just like there was one like one summer where I, I it was like in the beginning um, of the summer and I wasn't teaching or anything. And I had the whole summer ahead of me and I had a lot of time to reflect on my experience as a person. And I was like, I feel like I have so many things that I want to say as a um, an Asian, a male, um, a second generation immigrant, um, a Filipino person of all these, uh, a teacher of all these things. And I was like, I need to put these down on paper. So if someone reads it, that can identify with the same thing, they would be able to learn from my experience and, and learn something about themselves. Because I think I, I, I started as I was growing, you know, in my late twenties, I was like, there's so many things that I've experienced that I didn't really know had a profound effect on me. So the book itself is is a memoir. And a lot of people are like, why why would like a 30-something-year-old person write a memoir? Um, and I'm just like, honestly, it's because I've had so many random experiences that uh, might not be in a, uh, as traditional as other people. So like, for example, like I as a Filipino person, I grew up in like one of the whitest towns in, in Massachusetts. Um, it was a tiny, tiny white town. Um, I was one, uh, I was like one minority, two minorities, three, there's about four other minorities in my whole high school. Mm -hmm. Um, so growing up, it was, it was, uh, tough. It was, um, interesting. It was, um, it was so, um, I, I, I don't know what the word is. I kept like being pushed and pulled from like one culture to another in a way. So mm -hmm. it, in, in one sense, I was trying to be white all the time because I was like, these are my friends. I, I want to try to be like them. But in another way, I'm like, hold on to my culture and, and, and be immersed in my own culture and keep it preserved. So I was constantly fighting that. Um, and I think that over the time of, of growing up in, the, in that type of environment has really helped me appreciate the diversity that or the experiences um, in diversity that a lot of my students experience. So when I go into my classroom, I like look at them and I literally see them uh, myself in their shoes. Like if if uh, I have I had one class where there was um one Asian boy in my class and the rest of the kids were all white kids. And I was like, Oh man, like I know exactly what that student is going through because he walks into this room and he has that feeling of being different than everyone else. And I was like, I know exactly what that kid is going through. I know exactly what that feeling is like. So um, my hope is that I want to write this book and I want that kid to read it and be like, I'm so glad there's someone else out there that knows exactly what I'm going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and I think go ahead. I was just going to say it's, you know, to your point of saying, you know, why would a, you know, a 30 something read a memoir? I, I just think the world is so different now that everybody's, you know, kind of creating and everybody's life is kind of out there. So it doesn't, you know, you know, I, you know, even five or ten years ago, you would think a memoir was something you would write at the end of your life, not right, you're right. like just you know just getting to the end of the first third of it. But yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. 
Um, yeah, the, the fact that I think that we limit ourselves with what society has given us, you know, so when someone thinks of a memoir, they automatically think, oh, this is some old person that wrote about, you know, the trials and t- tribulations of growing up um, and then eventually being towards the tail end of their, their life or whatever it is. But um, we tend, I think human, t- human beings tend to go within the grain and we, we go along with whatever society has given us. And so uh, a lot of the times it's hard for us or like even like a person like me that grew up in like such a, uh, a neighborhood that wasn't that where I was singled out a lot of the times. Like I, I look at that and I'm like, I went a grain, oh, against the grain every single day, yet it wasn't really my fault. Do you know what I mean? So right. in, that, in that sense, it's, it's always tough. It's always tough for, for a lot of, of different cultures or um, people that are different to be able to, to insert themselves within, within their environment. Yeah. And I, th- you know, and that's, and, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. That's, that's the one thing that I regret about my time in Houston teaching is, and there was nothing mm-hmm. that I really could do that. I had no, there was very little common experience between me and my kids. Mm-hmm. There were so few of them. Um, you know, my school was 90% Hispanic, you know, 9.9% African American. And then okay. like a few Asian kids, like no right. white kids. And it just, and I didn't understand their experiences. And, and at a time I didn't really try. I didn't know that I needed to. I didn't realize that right. their experiences were as important. I mean, there's really nothing in life more important than the experiences that you've had. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, did you, was it a school? Did you feel like your school was, um, uh, or I guess your students, do you feel like they treated you in a, diff- in a different way um, compared to other teachers because of your skin color or your background or whatever it was? Um, you know, I don't know. They definitely treated me different, but I just think, yeah. I just think it was because they knew that I didn't get them. Gotcha. You know, and, and as the years, and even as each school year went on, and I built those relationships, then it, then it subsided. But yeah, you know, they would, there were just things I didn't understand. Like I didn't understand the way, um, you know, African-American kids talk and the right, way they talk right. to each other and the way, you know, the, it, and, and not that they're rude, but they just, you know, they have their own rhythm and they have their own cadence and they have these words that I think mean one thing, but really to them, they mean something else. And, Right. You know, the, the family dynamics of Hispanic kids and, uh, you know, all, all those things that I just didn't understand. Um, and, you know, I, I felt I, I really feel bad that a lot of times I didn't validate their experience. I, I didn't I didn't get that their experience was different, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's why, like I said, I've really been trying to learn this year about how to how to hold my you know, hold my experience as one thing, but, you know, really honor what someone else's experience is too. And, and like I said, there were some kids that I got, I mean, there were some kids that I didn't get along with and there are kids that I got along great with. And there are definitely some right. opportunities where I think the thing I regret the most is not understanding that the, so many of those kids live in that, um, I guess, a stressed environment where, 
you know, um, authority or, you know, arguments or things that they're routine. Mm-hmm. And I, I regret the number of times that I unknowingly or knowingly let myself get all spun up on a kid who was really just trying to tell me something and didn't, didn't know how. Right. You know, and, yeah, and, and those are the type of things that I really look back that I'm like, gosh, I just, I missed the boat on that. Yeah. Like there, there could be a kid that might be, um, having a really tough time in your room. And I'm sure that it came off that, uh, you were doing something, uh, that he didn't, he didn't like. And, and, uh, that kind of spun the whole situation out of whack. And, uh, but if you look at it in a holistic sense, maybe that kid had, um, a really tough morning and, uh, had something that, that, you know what, this class is the, the least of my worries right now. Yeah. Cause I have, cause I have to go home and, and deal with whatever's at home or, you know, so, um, that's why, you know, going back to what I was saying about like perspective, I always, I always go back to that. And, um, I always try to instill that within every single student that I have is understanding perspective, um, is one of the most important things, uh, about navigating this with navigating this world is, uh, your perspective is literally one out of the multi-million billion people that we have on this earth. And it's not, it's, it's, even though you think you're right, that doesn't mean the other person's wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? And Mm. there's always going to be the other side of, of one argument. Um, but so in a sense, the, the best way to go about things is to more understand the differences in, in another person instead of going against them. And instilling that, I think I try to instill that as much as I can with my students because, yes, they're young and they're probably not going to really understand it now. But as they get older and they start meeting new people in this world and and figuring things out, like they're going to start seeing some things that they've never seen before. um, And they're going to experience a lot of things that they've never experienced. And with all of those things combined you still have your own perspective, but you're going to meet other people with different perspectives. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I think yeah. a lot of the kids, the, a lot of the kids like see the world in, in one lens. And so trying to broaden that lens is kind of what I've, I've been trying to do over the past few years as, as a teacher. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. And like I said, I feel like that's a, that's a perfect way to kind of sum it up. You know, we were talking before, before the podcast, um, you know, about the questions I had and I'm looking at my list and I, and we really only, I really only asked the first question that was on my list, <laughs> you know? So, Man, so what I'm thinking is looks- we'll, we'll, we'll cut it there and, and have you back on sometime. Cause I do really want to hear about, I, I obviously want to hear more about your, your school, but I'd, I'd love to hear more about teaching sped and, you know, your day to day, man. But, um, for people that want to, want to check, want to check you out and, and follow you uh, online, where's the best places for them to do that? So, uh, the, um, I, I have a few things. I have a, um, an Instagram. Um, so I'm feasting underscore and underscore teaching. Um, so I have my Instagram, um, and then I also have like a teachers pay teachers store and I, I throw some things on there. Uh, but my main thing is that, that Instagram, that's where I blog a lot about what I do in my classroom. 
um, and I, I give updates on my book as well as um, some of my food adventures as well. So um, that Instagram is probably the best way for people to reach out and connect to me. Awesome, man. Well, gosh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I wish it uh, didn't have to end, and we're uh, we're definitely going to have you back on sometime, man. We really appreciate you taking some time tonight. Yeah, of course, Kyle. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to be back on at any point. I, this was This was great. All right, buddy. Thank you so much, man. All right, Kyle. Thanks for having me.